Hey guys, thank you so much for being on the Diana show. Um, please do subscribe. This and many of my conversations are two part interviews, sometimes three part interviews. Sometimes you'll hear guest cameos of my three year old grunting and playing with Legos in the background. Um, but do subscribe because you'll get notifications for when the next things come out. So the following is a conversation with Sue Fajeda and it's a two-parter. Um, sometimes these conversations are most of the time with strangers and I may or may not have ever laid eyes on the person in person. So I met Sue, um, at a protest and we were introduced and my first thoughts that were that Sue seemed quiet and that I maybe reserved and I didn't know if I'd be able to get her talking or if she would relate to me or trust me and I had no idea what the conversation would bring but delightfully by the end of our talk I seriously felt like um I don't know I kind of felt like she was my friend like I'd made a new friend I really really connected with her she's a musician she's a daughter who's loved she's a person who's lived all over um around Southern California and it's crazy. She like fears things here that I don't, but she still loves it here. She regularly deals with getting pulled over and questioned. She has frustrations about that. She gets her feelings hurt. Um, she gets angry and pissed off about it. So it's a great conversation. We talked about her becoming a new dog mom, about being an introvert, uh, what she's observed at protests in our hometown. We just kind of talked about everything. It was a one of my favorite ones. So please enjoy. And without further ado, I'm going to let you hear from Sue. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for being here with us today. I have a lady named Sue Fajeda. Hi, Sue. Hi. She is a musician. She is a new dog owner and lover. Uh, she is a local resident and she's been extremely active at community meetings and um, different areas of support and just a super interesting, sweethearted person. And I met her at a protest and I wanted to talk to her and see what her story was. So um, thank you for being with us, Sue. Thank you for having me. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So let's start with the most important thing first. You went and got a dog for quarantine. What did you get? And <laughs> how's that going? So um, a little backstory. Um, during quarantine, I live by myself. So, okay. uh, quarantine happened and I was like, I got this, you know, I'm an introvert and I'm really good at being by myself and doing my own thing. Mm -hmm. And a couple of weeks in, I was like, I have no one and I'm actually kind of lonely and I wasn't yeah. as good at this as I thought and mm -hmm. always wanted a dog. So I started looking into fostering a dog. And all of the foster dogs were unavailable because people really showed up. And then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to adopt a dog. But with the, the restrictions, I wasn't able to do a meet and greet. Mm -hmm. And I would be going off of whatever they told me about the dog over the phone and a picture, mm -hmm. which is kind of what happened. Um, I kept going back to the picture of my current dog like night after night and just endless mm. scrolling through other dogs, but always going back to him. So, uh, yeah. So what's now, he look like? Well, he is a pit bull Dalmatian mix. So he has that Dalmatian like marking. So he's mm -hmm. white and with some black spots. He has a black spot on one of his eyes. Oh. Someone told me he looks like Petey from, uh, oh, little yeah. rascals. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So, yeah, it's about 60 pounds, and he's a big boy. So, yeah. It's going good so far? It is going good so far. He loves his mama, and his mama Mm -hmm. loves him back. Yeah. And it's been, you know, very therapeutic for me to have him around. Yeah. Yeah, there's something about that that's, like, very comfy and cozy and comforting. And, I I mean, I complain every single day about the dog hair in our house. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Because our dog sheds like crazy, especially this time of year. So does mine. Yeah. <laughs> sheds everywhere. It's yeah. like layers. Of and then it's yours is fur. little white hair. So I'm sure it's like little white hair everywhere. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, congratulations on being a dog mom. That's awesome. Thank you. And you're also a musician. Tell us uh, what you play, where you play, what you do. Um, I play anything that I can get my hands on, really. Uh, right now guitar has been my my main instrument for Mm -hmm. you know for the past several years uh drums would be my second favorite i played saxophone a little bit of keyboard bass um but yeah i mostly play at home now Mm -hmm. (laughs) but i used to have a a residency at main street wine company in Mm -hmm. downtown huntington beach okay and that had been going on for about three and a half years before quarantine happened. Okay. And uh, I've been, you know, in the Orange County music circuit for a while. And I, I live in Long Beach now. So I've been playing out here in Long Beach, too. And I kind of just jump around between mm-hmm. Long Beach and Orange County. Awesome. Yeah. Have you always been from here? Uh, yeah, I was born in Anaheim. Okay. And my family kind of hopped around between, you know, Anaheim and Buena Park. And eventually my mom got a job in Huntington Beach right around the time that I was going to go into high school. So at 13, we we moved to Huntington Beach. And that's probably the city that I lived in the most. Um, mm-hmm. So I call it my hometown with mm-hmm. well a little bit of hesitancy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't think... I don't want to say that Huntington Beach hasn't embraced me because there's a lot of lovely people in Huntington yeah. Beach, but there's always been this weird uh, haze of like hate and this feeling that I don't really belong there that yeah. I was never quite able to shake off. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's a love-hate relationship with HB. <laughs> hmm yeah, I understand. Tell me, um, if you don't mind, tell me um, if you know, like, some of your heritage. Yeah, so my parents are Brazilian. Okay. Um, my dad moved out here in 86, um, and my mom moved out shortly after. But mm-hmm. they're both Brazilian. My dad is uh, African-Brazilian, mm-hmm. and my mom would be considered, I wouldn't say white, um, cause she gets a hell of a tan, but she's definitely European, <laughs> uh, European descendant. Um, I also okay. have, uh, some Brazilian native on my dad's side. Okay. So it's an interesting combination of things. And I was born here. Okay. So when, tell me if you know this, because I don't know this and I'm looking for a little education. If your dad is, um, African Brazilian. Uh-huh he was brought over to Brazil? No. He's African-Brazilian, much like people out here who are Black are African-American. Okay. So I say African-Brazilian a lot because most people don't understand that Brazil has about 53% of the population uh, is Black. Okay. And 
And were they brought over to Brazil as slaves? Uh, so originally, yes, Brazil okay. actually had the highest population of African slaves in the transatlantic okay. slave. Somehow that gets missed. Uh, you know, the world looks at Brazil and they think, yeah, like multicultural, but it's right. mainly, you know, it's been whitewashed. History has been whitewashed there, too. Yeah. So people really don't know. Growing up, actually, me having to explain my heritage was always such a task because people would be mm-hmm. like, well, what are you? Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, well, I'm Brazilian. And they'd be like, so you're not black? And I'm like, no, I am black. <laughs> I am also yeah. Brazilian. It's mm-hmm. the U.S. isn't the only place that has black people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I met a guy with the, just the sexiest accent when I was in college, who was from England, but he was like very black, and I was so like, "Wow!" So wait, what? Isn't it and a little mind bending? Like, yeah. Well, I never got it. I never got him. I, he never became like a like a boyfriend or a close friend or anything like that. So I didn't feel comfortable like digging in and asking him. And I think back then when I was in college, it there was more of a like the way that I was raised was like, oh, let's be colorblind. Let's you know, let's not mention you know the fact that someone looks different than you uh-huh. and now we ra- when we're raising our children it's very much like oh you know like we have a close friend Jen that comes over with her boys and we talk about her heritage and or we would talk about um, other friends who are Mexican-American or like where the and it's just so I think my kids are much more like comfortable asking questions and I think you should be comfortable asking questions if the person's comfortable answering it just like um I'm Irish and Italian and, and Scottish and, uh, you know, our adopted daughter, we thought for sure she had a little bit of black in her. And then we got on 23andMe and nope, all white. So, you know, <laughs> wow. but there's nothing wrong. I don't think there's anything wrong with discussing it. It's a beautiful topic if you ask me. Yeah. I, I don't believe in the, uh, well, it's not my reality, at least the no color. I don't see color thing mm-hmm. that, that people cling on to. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely crazy to me, actually, that people would hold on to this notion or this idea. I, I get what's behind it, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, people are tired of racism and people want unity. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, mm-hmm. we're all brothers and sisters. We're all human. Yes. So mm-hmm. I agree on, on that aspect. But this system was built um, and, and things are built around us that that affect people differently because of the color of their skin you know because of what they look like their outward appearance so I can't go around saying yeah there's no color (laughs) color doesn't exist we're all we're all Mm -hmm. one race yeah I kind of think of it like if you could think about musical instruments and you think about like it would be kind of silly to just be like oh I'm a guitar collector and all these guitars hanging on my wall or go to a guitar museum they're all just guitars they're all just guitars but there's a huge difference between you know a Fender Stratocaster or like something like really really amazing and um, something else that's really really amazing but it's vintage and it came from a totally different like there's a guy that you you probably know who this guy is but he's first of all very attractive and second of all he plays something that's like 12 or 14 strings, it seems like. And uh, he plays on Tuesday nights at the street fair. Have you ever heard him? Um, and it sounds like Brazilian music. You know what? I think I've seen a 12 string guitarist on, on yeah. Main Street. Yeah. 
yeah. on Tuesday night. Yeah. So the you know the beauty of how different instruments make sound. I don't know if that's like even a decent analogy. That's probably one of these areas I need to edit out because maybe I put down the analogy. <laughs> no, there but... are nuances though. Definitely yeah. nuances. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so you have been an HB resident. You're now hanging out in Long Beach. You're a musician, and then um, so can did we we say that we wanted to talk about what brought you here or or why you left here? Yeah. Definitely. Do you want to get into that? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, um, do you want to ask me or should I just go right into it? No. Yeah. I mean, um, oh, and that's another great thing about my podcast. Lots of awkward moments. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, tell, yeah. Tell us what happened. So you lived, I lived in Long Beach too, actually for college on, um, second and Gav, Gaviota. Gav- I know exactly where that's at. Yeah, I lived there for a couple of years, and then I moved down here, and I got my first apartment on 19th, and um, I just wanted a fresh start. I was, like, hanging out with people who were selling weed and, like, smoking too much. <laughs> you know, I just wasn't, I wasn't functioning as I wanted to right. in my life, so. Living that Cali lifestyle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, exactly. So, what, what sent you back to Long Beach? Um, or not back to Long Beach, because I'm from Huntington, but. Oh, okay. um, I moved to Long Beach. I guess I've always had this this love for Long Beach, and, and I've always flirted with Long Beach from afar. Um, mm-hmm. I'm uh, part of the LGBTQ community, and so Orange County doesn't really have a lot of places that cater to to the community. And oftentimes, if you want to go out you know, to a, a bar or a nightclub or anywhere to socialize with... Um, with other people from the LGBTQ community, you go to Long Beach, uh, LA, mm-hmm. or Hillcrest in San Diego. Mm-hmm. And Long Beach was a, a, an easy trip, you know, from Orange County. So I've yeah. always been coming around here and I noticed how diverse and artsy and uh, the appreciation for diversity was out here. Mm-hmm. And I never had that growing up. Uh, yeah. You know, all I saw growing up was um, opportunities and and a nice suburban like lifestyle but mostly for white kids all the ap classes even uh i was always super smart as a kid very intelligent but those things and the little clubs at school and stuff like that felt like it was something for the elite you know and that i wasn't part of that um so i was living in san clemente i think is it like about two years ago Mm-hmm. And I had been there for about two years. Mm-hmm. I moved to San Clemente from Huntington Beach because I just needed a, a change of scenery, really. And, you know, the beach in San Clemente is gorgeous. Um, mm-hmm. I like the small town feel. And I thought that it would be a great opportunity for me to get away and, and get a lot of writing done. So I was living there and everything was going well. You know, I, I had direct beach access uh, and I was like, about half a mile away from the beach. And uh, after a while, I, I started noticing uh, money in the air and, and whiteness in the air. And and uh, and again, I started feeling like I didn't really belong. Uh, mm-hmm. I would be walking down some of the alleyways to just take a shortcut to get home from wherever I was at. And there'd be a Trump supporter out with the Make America Great Again hat on. Uh, mm-hmm. staring me down 
Um, mm. Microaggressions are a big thing in Orange County. Mm-hmm. So I was going through a lot of experiences. Uh, I was at a, a karaoke bar and there was a surf competition that had just happened. So the place was packed with a bunch of blonde babies. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. uh, a lot of teenagers and their parents. And I was the only black person there, which I'm used to. Mm-hmm. And I was there with a bunch of friends. We were having fun. And the karaoke host, whom I had already known for a while, and we always chopped it up and we were cool. He got on to do a song and he did an unedited version of a song that used the the n-word and the n-word was in the chorus and he just like no holding back was was all about it and and it made me feel like oh I was pissed like I was not about it and I felt really alone in that moment like I said I was the only black person there and and I felt like everyone felt like it was okay to like say it and I felt invisible yeah I was like, because if they saw me here, maybe, maybe they wouldn't say that word out of respect, you know, mm-hmm. on a microphone in front of a bunch of, a bunch of people, a bunch of white people, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so little things like that were just kind of turning me off to, to Orange County in general. That's not a little thing, though. <laughs> I mean, that's, I'm a, you know, it, I can totally, you're painting a picture where because we've all felt alone in a moment in a crowd where uh-huh. you're just like wow I'm just like totally on an island here and I could see that for sure because if you speak up or if you flinch or are all eyes on you you know like oh what what does the black girl in the room think about everyone saying the n-word or right. whatever the word was it right. just that's so shitty and for a group of people not to really realize how much that would suck well, I ended up leaving, and yeah. I I didn't really tell too many of my friends. I, I think I told one, like, hey, I'm going to go, and, and I text her kind of what happened. Yeah. But I was actually – I was shocked that nobody else really noticed, not even my friends who I consider to be, you know, super allies and mm-hmm. uh, have some level of, like, awareness. And and if if it was something a little bit more – I can't even say more blatant because that's very in, is <laughs> really really in everybody's face. But I don't know. Yeah. I think a lot goes under um, under our noses, and uh, even for me, like I tend to normalize these things at this mm-hmm. point to mm-hmm. where I could sit with you for hours, and like from the time I was seven up until now, give you experiences that I had in Orange County that, yeah, uh, if I told you, you'd be like, wow, like, and. And I'd be like, really? Like, I, I didn't know. I didn't know that. I never really thought about it like that. Like, you know. Yeah. I got to. Do you mind talking a little bit more about the subject? Because I had something that I observed and I asked my black friend, not, not my only black friend, but I asked <laughs> the woman who was involved in it about it. And we kind of had a discussion. I'm interested to hear your take on it. Do you mind? No, I don't mind at all. Okay. So I can't remember which dance it was, but it's, um, what school did you go to, by the way? I went to Ocean View. Ocean View. Yeah. My son just graduated from, um, Huntington Beach High School and he, he's a musician. He was in the MMET program for all four years. He's an editor and, a um, which by the way, he could edit this stuff for me, but we won't even go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
he went to a dance and he didn't want to go to dance. He didn't, he's not that kind of kid. He didn't uh-huh. want to go to any of the dances. Um, but he happened to let me talk him into this one and we went and got him, you know, the clothes. And so a lot of the people that he grew up with friends wise that were his age, that were my friends, kids were girls and the girls were much more. And I don't mean when I say advanced, I don't mean like they were sexually advanced or something. They just, they just knew about things that he maybe didn't know about a little mm-hmm. sooner. I don't even know how to say that. Anyway, my friend had uh, one of those little like sprinter vans and she was going to take everyone to the dance together. So the, some of the girls had dates. Some of them didn't. My son didn't have a date and it was a bunch of white kids, including my son, plus this one very, very beautiful uh, black girl. Uh-huh. And she's always the one beautiful black girl in the crew. Cause you know, that was all there was. Right. And you know how that right. is if you, grew up in OC. Well, we get, it's myself. The driver is my girlfriend who's white. Uh, It's me as the other mom. And I just came along to kind of observe my son. She's like, Hey, do you want to ride along? But the other mom who was black stayed back with the rest of the parents and they were, everyone was like having a drink and some appetizers. And so we, us two moms went, well, one of the girls was like, Hey, um, here's my playlist. Can you put it on? And she puts on, I don't even know who it was, but the song had a bunch of explicit lyrics in it like that. Uh huh. And the thing I was noticing was the girls who kind of are like brother and sister with my son were like kind of twerking on him. And he was sitting in the corner, staying on his phone, trying to ignore them you right? Know, because he was uncomfortable. But I also noticed that everyone was singing all of these lyrics at the top of their lungs. And so including my friend's daughter who's black right so i asked her later i asked the mom i'm like hey can i ask you a question what you know how do you think that feels for her and what are your feelings about it and she was like yeah i you know she's like it's tough because you know their kids singing a song and we're letting them listen to that music Mm -hmm. um but on the flip side of it, you know, I don't know how it makes my daughter feel. We ha- And it's these conversations, it's these stinking conversations that we don't usually have. Right. We just see it happening and we don't think like, is that making my daughter feel alone? Right. Or uncomfortable or, you know, for me, it was making me feel kind of disgusted to see all these kids sing these words. And I also, and I'm just going to be really frank, this is probably not going to be a popular, popular thing to say. <laughs> I also in some ways, and I know there's the whole, oh, we took the word back. I get that. I've heard that whole discussion. And, and I, I, I am still learning about that. Let's put it that way. (laughs) That's honest. Um, Yes. I'm still learning. I'm still trying to understand that. But I also, am just like, I don't get like, it's very hard for me to understand because these kids are like 15 year olds, what they're supposed to sing and what they're not supposed to sing. Right. Um, easy for me because my son son doesn't listen to it so it's a little easier but for these other parents I'm just like how does that really work I'm I'm curious what you think about it because you grew up in it yeah so first of all as far as like rap and hip-hop and Mm -hmm. the changes that it's gone through over like several years and uh all the explicit stuff that you hear Mm -hmm. uh it hasn't always been like that and there's some good stuff out there for sure. But rap and hip hop used to be a way to actually teach, you know, the community and uh, help the community grow. Uh, a lot of wisdom, a lot of knowledge would be spit in, in raps, you know. And 
somehow. When you say the community, are you talking about the black community or like the community as a whole? Because I know my husband literally grew up on 80s and 90s rap. He can tell, he can rap everything. See, that's awesome. Uh-huh. Um, it, I think as a whole, like there are some things that are very specific. You know, as a writer, I might be writing something that might be specific to, you know, let's say it's a song for my mom or something. It's for my mom. It's not for, you know, my lady. And so the content in there will, will be things that are appropriate, um, you know, between love from a mom and daughter perspective, right? Mm-hmm. So the same thing with other subjects. So I feel like you get a lot of rappers that would educate people on on politics or on mm-hmm. race or oppression um, or self-care, you know, and, and that can be for everybody. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be just for a specific group of people. Now, if, if in a verse I'm addressing a specific group of people, you'll know. Um, mm-hmm. As simple as that. Uh, nowadays, I feel like, uh, not I feel like, I know um, rap and hip hop has been commodified in such a way and uh, capitalism rules. So unfortunately, people would rather hear, you know, explicit content than something positive. For whatever reason, we mm-hmm. love trash uh, as a people. Like we love trash shows. We love trash music. Um but that's not all rap and hip hop is. And there's mm-hmm. definitely positive things out there. As far as the N word uh, and N word being taken back. Mm-hmm. I've had conversations about it. To be completely honest with you, I've used the word and I try not to use it as much. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in my use of the word, at the end of the day, <laughs> it's not something that I would uh be comfortable with with people that aren't black using and and that's just that's just me i actually know black people that don't mind when other people use it i know black people that will say that oh if it's in a song and they're just singing along with the song then then it's okay um and in my mind i'm just like no they can they can skip that part Mm -hmm. (laughs) they can bleep it out they can use something else instead yeah. And and you're right. It it is a word that I wish ultimately that we would all drop from our vocabulary. You know, whether you're oh, black I don't, or white. I, I want to go on record. I'm not saying I'm I'm right or wrong or whatever. I'm just trying to understand. Um and I there's some things as a white woman and a white mom that I observe. Uh like for instance, like and I studied a little bit recently. Um, how when I was a kid in the seventies, it was like, we called people black people. And then it was African-American. Now it seems like it's more black people <laughs> But as a white woman. And the way that I'm educating my children is that there's things that we observe and that doesn't necessarily mean I have to have an opinion on it. I can just observe it. And when you decide that's, that's what I will go with. Right. Because it's not really, that's not, it, I'm not saying it's not my business, I'm just saying that's for me to observe because that's someone else's journey. Does that sound, right. does that make sense? Absolutely. And it's the same thing with the um, the N word and music and however that's going to go down. I know for me, um, I I would cry if I heard one of my kids saying that word. I think it's the ugliest word. And if you if you've ever, uh, not if you, but if anyone's ever watched like Twelve Years a Slave or Selma or, um, I forget the one with Matthew McConaughey where they 
like totally dragged the little girl and almost killed her. It, that was a really old movie, like maybe 15 or 20 years ago. Uh, maybe it's, I forget. It's, it's, it was a great book. I read the book and then it was a great movie too. Maybe it's Lincoln Lawyer. I can't remember. But anyway, if you've ever watched anything like that and you see the use of that word in the way that it used to be used, mm-hmm. not the way that sometimes it's used uh, now, it's super disturbing to me. So, yeah. Or well, even when you say used to be used, I've been called the N-word uh, in a hateful way several mm-hmm. times mm-hmm. in my lifetime um, by white people. So it still carries that, you know, that of weight course, with me. Yeah. And, and when you were talking about that young lady um, going to, to the school dance and, and all the kids singing, I kind of wonder if maybe... Maybe she didn't mind in front of the kids. Yeah. Because everybody's doing it. And there's always that peer pressure, especially mm-hmm. when you go to high school in Huntington Beach. And mm-hmm. most of the kids don't look like you, mm-hmm. you know. And who are you to say that something's not cool right. if you're already the odd one out? Right. You know? Right. Yeah. And I know for a fact that I've, I've, I've been around to hear like pretty, you know, terms like, oh, so gorgeous for a black girl, you know. I was actually thinking about uh, the dance scenario. So I think I was, I think it was my senior year. My senior year, I had just gotten my braces off Mm. and I had just gotten my hair done. It was pressed. So it was all nice and and straight. Mm -hmm. And I was uh, on my way. It was during the day. I was on my way. Um, to meet with someone to finish getting ready to go to this dance. And I had the windows rolled down, the wind was blowing in my hair. Uh, I stop at this light and there's these boys in this truck next to me, mm-hmm. a bunch of white boys. Um, and they stop and they look at me and I look back at them. And then the light goes green, so we start taking off. And one of them yells at me, he's all like, hey, hey. so. My instinct mm-hmm. is to not look um, yeah. <laughs> because why are these boys hollering at me, right? Um, but they kept on. And so I looked and they yelled back at me, you're the hottest black girl I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, I, uh, I smiled for an instant. And after they drove past and I was by myself, I, I went over exactly what he said, and I was like, hottest black girl he's ever seen. Mm-hmm. And I thought about how I looked in that moment, because I didn't really get hit on um, by white boys. Uh, and I was like, okay, I'm in this dress, and my hair is straight. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, maybe it's because my hair is straight, because any other day, like, I wouldn't have been hollered at like that. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, uh, there's a contingency here <laughs> on this whole thing. Like, I'm not the hottest girl. I'm I'm the hottest black girl. So yeah. automatically I fit into this category. How many black girls are there in Huntington Beach? <laughs> yeah. So if I'm 1%. the hottest one, I'm like. 1%. <laughs> so that was an interesting experience. And not the first time that I've heard something like that. It was really like. Uh, you know, like something like 
someone lifting you up just to bring you back down again. Mm-hmm. I couldn't have done without that, you know, compliment or mm-hmm. whatever that was. But yeah. Yeah. And I think it's these kind of conversations that people hear and realize, oh, I remember I've said that or I've, you know, made that comment or whatever. And, uh, you know, like even bigger girls that, you know, like I've always been a bigger girl. I'm tall, but sometimes I'm heavier than I am other times, you know. <laughs> yeah. But I've had that before. Like, oh, you have such a pretty face. And it's like, right. oh, you know what? Fuck you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel about that comment, you know. Uh, can we cuss on here this whole time? Oh, yeah. You can I've cuss. been holding back. Cuss it up, girl. <laughs> you know who Jai is, right? Yeah, I know oh, Jai. Yeah. He, he, it's funny because he's like, oh, can I, use, uh, can I use bad words? I'm like, yeah. So then, then the second half of the podcast was um, not G-rated anymore. But Okay, so I, I asked you if I could ask this question. I kind of fumbled through in the preliminary how to word this. And I think I'm just going to probably fumble it again. But what I wrote down is um, how, how, what, how are things different for you as opposed to before George Floyd? I mean, does that make any sense? I guess what I'm asking is like, you are clearly awake and experiencing all of this before anything happened with George Floyd. What was that? Five weeks ago, six weeks ago now? Uh, I think uh, I don't even remember. Yeah, so, you know, a, a days are relati- blurring together, but yeah, yes, relatively short amount of time. And I know you said you were an activist before, and I know you're crazy active now. And you, just this weekend, you were at the um, barbecue, um, and then uh, were you at the, a community meeting? I went recently? to San Diego to the city hall, okay, um, to stand, you know, in solidarity with the the Kumeyaay people. They are the southernmost. Uh, native peoples um here in southern california and with the wall that trump is you know building they've been putting out explosives on sacred land and uh blasting Mm. these burial sites Mm. so you know they're not asking for much they're asking for for soil testing and to have a, a native monitor there um, and maybe get some, some law put into place where they can't keep doing this over yeah. and over again. Like we've already, we should have learned from Standing Rock, you know, mm-hmm. but somehow these things keep happening and man, I'm tired. Mm-hmm. I'm tired. I'm tired mm-hmm. for, for my people. I'm tired for, you know, my indigenous brothers and sisters. Um, tired. Yeah. So so yeah, I've been a, a lot more active now and um, I'm not sure if everybody goes through this or, or every black person in America goes through this, but I was kind of getting to this point in my life where I wanted to get to know a little bit more about myself mm-hmm. and, um, and my place in America mm-hmm. and why my reality, you know, was so different than what I was being taught uh, as far as black history. And so I, I don't even want to say that I was seeking it out, but sometimes you throw something in the air and the universe just brings it to you. And I was meeting people. um, Coincidentally, uh, one of my white friends who 
wanted to learn more and, and reminds me of you actually. Uh, she gave me access to her library in San Clemente. She has an art studio. Um, her name is Chantelle de Felice. So if you ever get a chance to look up her artwork, um, okay. it's amazing. But she does a lot of uh, studying about civil rights and science and a bunch of cool stuff. And she has an mm -hmm. extensive um, book collection. And she kind of just started feeding me books, like letting me go in there and, and pick whatever I wanted and sharing a lot of information with me. But being very aware with how she was doing it. Um, mm -hmm. Kind of like spoon feeding it to you, like she was trying to let you see things in layers? Yeah, in a way. Yeah. Like, I think mm -hmm. she noticed that I was... I was looking for truth and, and she didn't want to take that position of like, I am this white person that is instilling knowledge upon you that you didn't know. It was just that she was um, encouraging me to go with my intuition, uh, even with my experiences in Orange County, when I'd be like, well, it's not a big deal, but this and this and this happened. She would always reassure me like, no, like you're right in feeling that way, you know? Um, very validating in a sense. Uh, definitely a good friend and so anyways I started learning a lot more about history and 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 really getting into all this uh this knowledge and it was helping me kind of cope with things that were happening already because I know that the George Floyd um the George Floyd murder was a catalyst for the movement but the movement's been going on for yes. a long time and and police mm -hmm. brutality has been around for a long time now we just have cameras you yep. know on our phones and and people are watching but i several years ago i was already fed up with things that were going on but i didn't know what to do i didn't know how to use my voice uh or my platform yep. i didn't know i had a voice yep uh and i think now with everything going on the fact that people are rising up and standing together it's like a a domino effect or, or a popcorn kind of thing, you know, where yep. I feel like I have a, a responsibility uh, to be out there in solidarity with my brothers and sisters. It's uplifting. Um, I'm continuously learning more things and it's not leaving me in this dormant state that I was in before. Like, yeah, I was still I was still aware and and the wokeness was was there, but I wasn't doing anything about it. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I'm at now. I think that's, I mean, it's, it's so interesting to hear that because for me, you know, I knew that, you know, I knew that I could look things up, but there were things that I thought that I never even really took the time to go see why that was. I knew that there was a lot of black men in jail. I just didn't really know why. And I lived in the South for 10 years and I did mostly very wealthy white ladies. Right. And um, lived in, you know, upper middle class subdivisions and just saw the way that things were, but didn't really understand why and um, never got into conversation. And some, in some ways I wasn't even curious about it because it wasn't affecting my life. And then in other ways, which sounds like such a dick thing to say, but I'm just about telling the truth. <laughs> but it then in other ways, um, 
I, I also just felt like, you know, it's not really my place to ask. Like, I think the first conversation would have been a couple of years ago when my son went to that dance and I noticed that here and I'm like, Oh, I wonder if that made her uncomfortable or if like, maybe we should talk to our kids about, you know, not using, not singing that part of the song. And, right. And, but then I didn't want to ask my friend cause I didn't want it to be awkward. And now I just feel like for me, what's changed, not only activism, going to community meetings, going to protest, talking to folks like you, who I get like a massive amount of education from every time I talk to someone, but also just being wide open and vulnerable to be like, you know what, maybe I'm going to fuck this up. Maybe I'm going to say the thing. I hope you know my heart. I'm not trying to be rude or ask a rude question, but I want to know. And I'd, I'd much rather fumble and be slightly offensive when I fumble in a good, you know, like in a good hearted way, than just keep my mouth shut and be like, well, it's not really affecting me. Yeah, exactly. I have a great relationship with police. I mean, the first protest I went to, I'm going to tell you the story of how I ended up going down to protest because I owned a business on Main Street for 10 years. Uh And I also owned, it was a big, the biggest salon. It's still down there. I also own the salon um, at the Hyatt, which is a big hotel down there on the beach. Right. So I had two salons, probably 35 or 40 different people that I worked with. um, Great relationships. Lots of little, like I had a hair extension business also online that I ran out of that salon. So lots of little like side businesses, selling product online, all that. Loved having a business downtown. Uh, you know, plenty of income. It's actually uh, right next door to Sushi on Fire, which Sushi on Fire is right next door to your place. Yes, so, I know exactly yeah, where it's at. City Salon, that was mine. And it was down there for 10 years. And then um, I sold it to my girlfriend five years ago. Um, but the thing that pissed me off is that, okay, so for 10 years, when I owned the business downtown, I think there was either two or three riots that went on and mm-hmm. we boarded up our business or I'm sorry, we never boarded up our businesses. We were just like, oh, well, well, if drunk, you know, white boys are going to knock down our windows and take <laughs> our hairspray, I guess we'll just file an insurance claim. And we just, I just was like, well, that's what the police are for. And that's what insurance is for. And I would watch it from afar and never get involved. Right. Right. Now I'm watching people board up their businesses because black people are coming to town. Right. And that is gross. Ah, Don't even get me started on that. How disgusted I feel. That's Um, such a slap in the face. It is. And you You know know what? I've gone out to protest and I avoided going to the first weekend of protest. Me too. I did did not want to go to Huntington Beach. Mm -hmm. I did not want to go home. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, All I can think of was... I know what it's like out there. Like, it's going to be bullshit. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going, you know. Mm-hmm. This is the reason why. It's I not good to- for you physically, but it's especially not good for you emotionally. It exactly. breaks your heart to see how people <laughs> act out there. Exactly. Um, because I don't understand, like, I don't understand how anybody can be counter-protesting. I know. What we're, we're about, you know. I, I don't get that. It, it's not political for me. So when I see a bunch of people out there with uh, their, their Trump flags and stuff, like, and then the Proud Boys and their affiliates <sighs> out there, um, and then I see people waiting in the alleys. They have, like, scouts. They got people watching in the alleys uh, on their bikes waiting for people to walk out. Like, so now I have to look over my shoulder because I don't want to get jumped. Yeah. Because people think that I'm not from around here or because yeah. I look a certain way. Yeah. Um, 
And nobody's going to tell me that that's not true. <laughs> yeah. It's oh. real. You know, and then the way that they segregate us during protest, because I ended up going to a protest the following week, right? Yeah. After the initial weekend. And they had protesters on pier side and counter protesters where all the shops are. And I kept looking over there and I was like, that's the wine bar that I play at. Like, yep. Like, you know, this is home and they got counter protesters on that side yep. acting like they own Huntington. Yeah. Beach. Like they're protecting Huntington. Beach. That's the image. I know. Yeah. And, and the, the police officers are on both sides. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, for some reason, I've, it just looks like the police officers that are on pier side are monitoring way more than the, the police officers that are on the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that doesn't make sense to me because all the hate's coming from from you know from the shop side. Like yeah. it's uh, like those people are are waiting for a reason to pop off. N- not all of them, no. But it's a good majority. It is, and uh, and that kind of uh, behavior it spreads like wildfire. Mm-hmm. It's it's crazy. They they feed off of each other, and 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 it's just really ugly. But I've been doing my best to go out there and, and really talk to people on the other side. Yeah. Um, I had a moment where I was asked to go back to my side, which was peer side, mm-hmm. by a police officer because things were getting a little rowdy. Um, with someone that was on pro- – from one of the protesters was talking to someone else, and, and it was getting a little heated. So instead of just sending her back, everybody that was – considered either black or a protester had to go back to the other side Mm -hmm. and I was so upset because I was like this is my town too how are you going to tell me uh what side I need to be on you know and what are you basing this off of like I'm over here having a conversation with someone we were talking for 20 minutes a Trump supporter with a flag uh you know and 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 I was like wow like we're we're having a very peaceful talk but here you are and I need to go to the other side because you're imploring me to. The mm-hmm. cop was imploring. Um, yeah, that's just weird. Mm-hmm. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to The Diana Show. This was part one of a two-part series with Sue Fajeda talking about living in Orange County and her feelings on it. Please watch her next episode. should be dropping shortly. And thank you so much for subscribing. See you soon. Talk to you soon. Thanks for being with me.